It's a positive film. It has heroes and villains, and uh, that it essentially uh, is a fun movie to watch. It's been a long time since people have been able to go to the movies and see a sort of straightforward, wholesome, fun adventure. Well, it's a fantasy. It's not science fiction so much as it is space fantasy, and it's about people. It's about. It's finally about people and not finally about science. The story, when you actually put it into words, is only so much nonsense to hang a great visual experience onto. It's the stuff that fairy tales are made of. Sort of boiling down religion into a very basic concept: uh, the fact that there is some deity or some power or some force. That sort of controls our destiny,、uh, works for good and also works for evil. Marvelous, healthy innocence, great taste, wonderful to look at, full of guts, nothing unpleasant. I mean, people go bang bang and people fall over and are dead, but you know, no horrors. A sort of wonderful freshness about it, a kind of like a wonderful fresh air. It's got whatever you want it to be. It's a, it's pure entertainment. It's like a roller coaster ride, and it can be interpreted as long as you enjoy it, which is the intention. Hello, welcome back to Generation Skywalker, and more importantly, welcome back. To our continuation of our book month. Now,、uh, joining me as always, I've got Craig Spivey with me. Good evening, Craig. Good evening. And we are delighted to welcome two guests, both、um, both fan for trackers, I believe.、Uh, Mark Newbold. Good evening, Mark. Hello. How are you? I'm all good, my friend. All good. Fan for tracks. Busy. Always busy. But there's always news. And even when there's not news, we just make it up so there's something to do. <laughs> so yes, we're always busy. It's good. The best way, and、uh, yeah. Mark Mulcaster is with you as well. Good evening, Hello Mark. Hello there. How are you doing? It's it's lovely to chat to you, Mark. Yeah, this is going to be isn't difficult, it? isn't it? Because if I give one of you two a question, you're both going to answer. Just 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 refer to us by our surnames. That's normally what we do. So, I mean, because even us, even me and Mark get confused. You know, when and there's only two of us recording, it's like which Mark's talking. I don't know. I open Now, my mouth, and another voice comes out. It happens a lot. That's because you're a Disney puppet. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it is. It's it's a mouse pulling your strings. You're like a little <laughs> ventriloquist dummy. Yeah. Now we're recording、um, a book month. We've got we've got a few interviews with people, doing a couple of roundtables and stuff. Now, you you both、uh, on on Fanfare Tracks Radio. You both do a show called Cannon Fodder, and、um, perhaps Mr. Mulcaster can tell us、uh, about that because that is based around the literature, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so Cannon Fodder is it's it's co-hosted by、uh, Brian Cameron, Matt Booker, myself, and other Mark, Mark Newbold, and it is literally everything you know, basically literally based in in Star Wars. So it's the books, it's the comics. You know, we would discuss audio books, and but you know, the, the the content from a kind of like a reader's perspective, but also from Like a kind of like a consumer perspective, so we you know we we delve quite a lot into like schedules and delays, which of course has been quite a lot at the moment.、Um, and we just we basically just have a natter and just talk Star Wars for an hour, which is I think one of the best things you can do these days. Indeed, especially during these、uh, these times. I hope you've both been keeping well actually during、uh, lockdown and all the everything that's been going on. But do you find that when you're doing a show like that, you're pressurised to keep on top of everything? You you literally consume every bit of literature that comes out. There's so much stuff though, isn't there? It's tough to do that. Yeah, it's it's tough. But also, that is kind of a good thing about having four people on the on the pod is that actually there's always at least one or two people who've who've kind of caught up with stuff.、Um, Brian's really good. He kind of writes really exhausted show notes, and sometimes it might even be like, "Have we seen the latest Star Wars book club kind of YouTube video?" And and you know and and sometimes we we can get like a, a ten minute kind of conversation discussion out of it, or other other times it's just kind of like a quick kind of like oh this is this was cool and you know move on. So, but there's always lots. There's always lots to talk about when you when you cover everything, the comics, the magazines, because of course like you know we've got to plug Mark's、uh, 
journalistic endeavors for Star Wars Insider, as well as, you know, the the actual kind of novels and stuff. So there's always plenty to talk about. Matt Booker, Matt Booker must be sorted for the comics because he's sitting in a comic shop all day. I'd expect, well, expect him yeah. to be bang on top of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's 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 on top. In fact, he's you know he he's he's great because he's always kind of like um, you know, giving us kind of a heads up of what's coming out, and you know, especially variants and um, like second and third printings and stuff like that. Nice, nice. Well, well, we've asked you on uh, for this show. We're going to do a little round table to celebrate, which is often considered probably the the best trilogy of books we've seen in the whole of the Star Wars canon and legend. You, you might debate that, but um, they've always been. Uh, highly sought thought after and that is the original Thrawn trilogy the heir to the empire and the other two that followed that now first of all have either of you read the new Thrawn books i'm currently listening to the audiobook of chaos rising which i'm very much enjoying and i've nearly finished it so that'll get finished this week but i didn't read the previous three i never got around to reading the previous three i don't know if you did mark yeah um so i'm pretty good because i tend to um i tend to make a point of doing a lot of the audiobooks just because um like a lot of people these days i still have kind of big long commutes of like you know an hour maybe two hours plus sometimes so you can get through a 15 hour plus audiobook in a week which is great so i've i've started chaos rising i think i'm only about three chapters into it so it hasn't really kind of gotten too kind of like meaty yet but i did do i did finish the the previous thrawn trilogy which I, I was kind of a little bit hot and cold on it, to be honest. Um, and I and the problem is, and this is something that I was kind of considering on the way back tonight whilst I was thinking about this podcast, is actually how much the um, the effect that the performance by the audio narrator actually has on how you like the book or not. Yeah. Because obviously the pacing and the characterizations uh, make it difficult to then take a step away sometimes and kind of pick up the book and then try and read it in your own voice. Um, and obviously, especially now that Mark Thompson is basically the king of audiobooks for Star Wars, I mean, I can't read a Star Wars novel normally without actually sometimes hearing it in his voice, which is, is sometimes fun, but also can be a little bit annoying at times as well. So I was going to ask you that. I said, in comparison, so obviously the original three back in the 90s are, are now legend. And these are obviously in the new canon line. Is um has has Thrawn's character changed too much? Has too much been altered? Their timelines. The, the, the thing is, and oh, actually, uh, just to plug the show again, we've I think we've talked about this on both making tracks and on can fodder. Is actually you know there is a risk with Thrawn, especially now, but he can sometimes be a little bit too clever for his own good. Um, and and I mean I think. They've, they've they kind of you know ported the character pretty well over from from EU into you know Star Wars Rebels and then into the the canon books. But yeah, it's um and and the the previous like Thrawn trilogy is interesting because he's kind of a he's a, a protagonist, whereas obviously in the the Empire trilogy back in ninety two ninety three he was the antagonist, so he was the bad guy. But kind of in that uh, the new Thrawn trilogy, he's he's kind of like he's he's serving the empire but it's you know it's kind of like all the cards are stacked against him because obviously he's he's an alien he's come from like this unknown region and stuff like that and he he you know propels himself through the ranks really quickly uh much to the kind of like chagrin of um uh eli banto who's kind of like his aide who's who basically with him for the whole journey pretty much it, it's an interesting take and also i think over the years uh, Timothy Zahn has moved away from almost like a classic Star Wars kind of vibe to for books being a little bit more kind of like considered and more like a thriller, you know. So the actual kind of it's it's a whole thing of like it's set in the Star Wars universe, but sometimes it doesn't necessarily feel like Star Wars. It's kind of like a almost a different genre, you know, completely. Wait, so this this book came out was it ninety one or ninety two? First of all, ninety one, I think this was, wasn't it? Yeah. 91 where, where was star wars at in 1991 what, what was the landscape like going into this these books it was it was a darn sight quieter than it is now that's for sure um i suppose you consider a lot of people have said it some people have denied it but i think it's pretty irrefutable that when air to the empire hit number one on the new york times bestsellers list and they did kind of put it out almost as an experiment it really was a statement of well okay star wars has been pretty quiet since 
you'd say 86, 87, you know, end of end of Ewoks and Droids. The Ewok movies have come out. West End have just released the role-play game in 87. And then there's not an awful lot, apart from, I think, the, the, the 3D comics, I think. There was pretty much nothing released apart from West End stuff all through that time period. Now, if you're a gamer, which I was, I, I consider what people call the dark times to be amongst the busiest periods of my fandom because I was role-playing three nights a week. So we were just... It was Star Wars, the most immersive Star Wars we'd ever had since we were running around in the playground, pretending to be, you know, Han, Luke and Chewie and stuff. But um, when you get to 91, Air the Empire comes out, they're almost testing the water. I've seen that things where Lucasfilm sort of said, you know, kind of testing the water to see if the interest is still there. And obviously it was. So so when Air the Empire comes back and goes in at number one, and it was very much pitched as being the sequel to Return of the Jedi, that's kind of lost in the in the in the static these days when Air Now and all the other film, you know books and comics of that time are now legends, like you said a moment ago. When that came out, there was no doubt this was the sequel to Return of the Jedi. We weren't getting films, but we were getting books. So everybody who wanted to know what happened next, it was this and very soon after Dark Empire, it was those two books and comics that that started to fill the gap and blimey talk about unplugging the dam uh you know it really went crazy after this but yeah when when this comes in other than occasional video re-releases and obviously the fandom was still there it's kind of just at the cusp of the internet really starting to become a thing for the general public sort of 91 92 when was the world wide web it was around about that time wasn't it so you know it was it was the right time for star wars to get really early in on that train but yeah, it was it was a wet Wednesday in Grimsby for Star Wars sort of <laughs> time. This came out, it was it was pretty quiet. Yeah, I was I remember it very well. I remember it coming out, and yeah, I wasn't a, I wasn't a big gamer like you, um, but I was still a fan. And to see this arrive with that official disclaimer on the back saying, you know, this is this is sanctioned, this is this is uh, you know this is legit. Yeah. Uh, I c- couldn't get enough of it, and, and I think it's it's very telling that the medium that they chose was an adult novel. You know, it was aimed at us. It wasn't a game. It wasn't more toys. It was an adult novel. It was a continuation of the story for those people who had experienced it in the theatres. Yeah, that's a good point, really, because I think Mm. there's a tendency now, in 2020 now, although I think we're going to forget this year in in its entirety as soon as we possibly can, but, you know, if you look at stuff now, for example, the High Republic publishing programme that's coming out, they're not just releasing a book and they're not just releasing a comic. They're releasing an IDW comic aimed for kids and a Marvel comic. They're releasing an adult novel and a young <laughs> readers novel. They're sort of pitching it at all the different levels of, of Star Wars readership, mm. which to me seems strange considering all the stories are part of the whole now. And, you know, when the, when the Star Wars novel came out, yes, they did a young readers edition, which I think I read once when I was seven I was reading that Star Wars novel from front to back and starting again and reading it again because a different time, wasn't it? You know, you couldn't go, you could, I, mean, I can watch Star Wars on my phone now. You know, uh, back then there wasn't nobody, you know, I don't think we had a video player. You know what I mean? There was no, no opportunity to watch it unless your mate had got a super eight player and he could watch that like, eight minutes with no sound in black and white on a, on a shonky video you know, sort of player. But, um, you know, so Star Wars was pitched to everyone. And so it brought kids up. I think Star Wars, to a degree, brought kids up. It advanced their reading level, whereas now publishers tend to pitch down towards kids and they don't Mm. challenge them anymore. So I think it's weird that they do that in a way. I get it's a marketing opportunity. I get why they do it. I'm not, you know, there's obviously a plan and a a logic behind it, and I do get that. But your point is very astute and correct: is that yeah, they threw it out as a. They weren't pitching at teenagers anymore. They weren't trying to grab a new market. The old, old inverted commas, you know, the old Star Wars fans, you know, in 91, I was, what was, I was 20. So, you know, I'd been through the Star Wars, that first generation Star Wars, as you say, of kids that watched it, played with it, got into it and did everything else. And now here's a novel that's going to tell me what happened next, because when Jedi finished in 83, we really did think that was it. Mm. You know, there was all these, you know, yeah, I think Starlog were talking about the prequel trilogy pretty much well pretty much as jedi came out they were saying well the next one's going to be about a young obi-wan and a young anakin you know so we knew they were coming at some point took its time but we knew it was coming but really seven eight and nine until the disney sale was just pie in the sky so you would never go i'm not (laughs) going to see that it's not happening 
This was seven, eight, and nine. Heir to the Empire at the time was episodes seven, eight, and nine. People kind of forget that. Yeah, and I, and I think also actually there's still a large selection of people who probably wish this was seven, eight, and nine. If we're being honest, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I because yeah. actually I you know I slightly have a different end of the, the spectrum. I was just I think year eight, so I was kind of like about twelve, and just happened by chance. To, to to be forced to go into the local library and you know forced. yeah no pun and yeah so that you know that's how i can you know because I, I was kind of like gobsmacked at the time i was like oh there's more star wars um and they actually had ed the empire and they had splinters of mind's eye on the shelf but yeah empire kind of grabbed my attention and that was it for the next god knows like how many weeks and stuff i was i was sitting in classrooms reading star wars books instead of uh going out and, and playing football with the, with the lads so it made you a man <laughs> it made you a man yeah put hairs on my chest <laughs> but i promptly shaved off craig was only saying to me earlier that the, the books did read like a movie didn't they they yeah. were fast paced mm. what what do you think contributed what, what what aspects do you think made those books be received like they were so one of the things that i vividly remember and really fondly remember and you know prep i suppose you say prepping for this podcast i went back and i re-listened to the original abridged audiobooks of this trilogy which was read by dennis lawson and then dark force rising and the last command by anthony daniels which in themselves is really cool to actually have you know star wars actors of that era you know narrate star wars which is great but there's just something about the pacing and, and i think the one thing about uh for and uh, fraun uh, Zahn does really well is that in a slightly semi-convenient way um, everybody's kind of split up like they are in Star Wars but they're always brought back together and he kind of lay layers the seeds of like everybody's going to get back together you, you know where the end point's going to be um, I think it was just a fact also that you know we're in we're in kind of like uncharted waters as well we're at like five years after Return of the Jedi you know seemingly this government's been set up but there's still kind of fringe elements of the empire floating around. And then you've got this, you know, this mastermind who just kind of comes in and just kind of catches everybody off guard. And I think that is kind of, you know, unfortunately, the, the first kind of big bad is is probably, what, again, one of the most kind of like memorable. So therefore, in you know, later novels, it's really hard to live up to Thrawn because actually um, when they start to kind of like, do other imperial kind of officers and stuff you're always comparing them to to fraud mm. so like you know dalla and stuff like people like that it, it was just like a vibe i mean i know sometimes you can kind of criticize it a little bit but there's kind of beats where it's kind of like almost kind of referencing back to the original trilogy which you can completely understand why they did that you know given the reason why they released a book in the first place but i think it helps tie everything together a little bit i mean i know possibly now we would say it's a bit fan servicey but i think back then it was sometimes it was quite nicely done just a couple of exchanges between like han and, and leia and stuff like that where i think he says well you know i don't want to discuss it with a committee and all that kind of stuff you know that kind of banter that we we saw on on screen is now in in printed word in a, in a new story no that's a really good point i i, I remember when i i used to run a site called lightsaber back in the day and we did some book reviews and John, John Hicks, I did a lot of the guy that did all the role play games mastering for me. He was, he's been our role play editor for years. He still is on, on Panther tracks. Um, John wrote the review for this and he made that exact point. He said, you know, if you, you know, me and him have been mates since for like, since 1984, we've been like mates for like 36 years. And we had a lot of conversations over those 36 years. And we probably couldn't remember many of them outside of the role play games. When there's little things that happen that you remember, you know, in the game, but in real life, you have a conversation and it's generally forgotten. And Air to the Empire did kind of come back to referring to stuff that it's almost like the characters had read the novel of Empire Strikes Back and were sort of riffing on it. But Mark makes a great point in that that you know the last Star Wars novel to come out before um before Air to the Empire was the last of the Lando Carissian trilogy. So we hadn't had a Star Wars book for eight years. So, you know, so we were starved for Star Wars. We'd have nothing on screen since, like I say, I'm pretty sure it was the end of Ewoks, which really was pitched at kids. So I think you could forgive them the self-indulgence of sort of referring back to memorable moments because they were at this point trying to re reignite 
you know, that spark and, and make sure the fandom was still there to justify pushing on with not only sequels to this book, but then, you know, um, other books, you know, Juice Bakura and all the stuff that came after that. And then all the licensing stuff that started up again, you know, all the applause stuff, all the Galoob stuff, all the things that, you know, pro- probably all got bought up by Hasbro that, every, <laughs> that they own all of it now. That made sense at the time. And fan service is a funny word. I mean, it's used in the most negative terms all the time. I don't think fan service is necessarily a bad thing because if you're not serving the servicing the fans, who the hell are you making this stuff for? So you can be too on the nose. Of course, you can be too on the nose and like oh, roll your eyebrows, at, at, you know, roll your eyes rather at stuff like that. But certain times that it's just subtle enough that you go, yeah, nice. And I think this book's got quite a few bits of that in it. And and you you ask whether or not you know what what was it about it that made it work so well as a trilogy? Mark said earlier about kind of wish this was the 789 instead of the 789 that we got i like the 789 that we got but i wish it had been better thought out this feels like it this feels to me like thrown uh, thrown i'm doing the same as you mark that zahn had sat down and sat down with you know the, the team at delray and said right this is my plan for the trilogy this is the book one and this is book two and this is book three and this is the starting point and this is where you leave them and you can run off the back of that and you know what i mean he kind of gave them a full SP. I don't know if that's the truth. That's how it feels to me. It just feels like this was planned. Every episode finishes on a cliffhanger. You know, there's a there's a battle. There's there's development of characters, new character. I mean, I you know, I went through some notes for this as well, and just reading through different names that came back. I haven't read this book for thirty years. <laughs> I'm near enough thirty years. <laughs> you know, and it was just so cool looking back and seeing all these names and places, and it's like I'm seriously thinking of giving this another read. You know, it's been a long time, but yeah, it's uh, it's a substantial trilogy. It really is. I think something else they got right was the the balance of new characters to the old characters they were keeping in play. Yeah. So just 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 right, just enough for you to keep track of you know what what was suddenly quite an expanded cast of, uh, mm. of characters. But and also they were all very well drawn, you know, and they were they weren't black and white. There were shades of grey. There it was. Yeah. It was interesting. Yeah. I mean, I. I, I've always really liked Talon Card as a character. I've always fi- found him really quite fun because, again, it's, it is, you know, I'm guessing, you know, you know, Zahn sat down either with the licensing guys or just sat down, watched Return of Jedi and went, right, okay, what are going to be the big questions that I need answering? And it's like, you know, who fills Jabba the Hutt's, you know, girthly kind of like space that he's vacated? <laughs> yeah. You know, so, yeah. Um, but I mean, and, I mean, it's it's funny because actually, you know, especially when you listen to the the bridged audiobooks, because they're only about about two and a half hours long, so they fit onto like two um, audio cassettes. You suddenly realise that, especially by the time um, the Last Command, he's packed in a lot of like smuggler characters, like to fill mm. out that whole fringe area. That actually, you know, with the exception of Lando and with the exception of like Han, we don't really know many characters from that kind of like that background. So that was really fun. And of course, then we've got like Mara Chade. So, um, who again is one of those characters that I think uh, had had a lot of potential um, and possibly still could do, depending on if like Lucasfilm had kind of like the guts to kind of put her into canon, I guess. Yeah, that, that's a good point. It's this, this reminds me of certain albums that come out, like, and like I was thinking of The Darkness, I love The Darkness, and their first album came out and it, re- it plays like a greatest hits album but it's just their first album. Like Appetite for Destruction, it's like, that's like a greatest hits album, but it's just the first album. And this as a book, or as a trilogy, really, it's kind of the same, because you, like you say, Mara Jade was voted the most, you know, Insider did it way in the 90s, most popular character, Star Wars character, was Mara Jade, above the film characters and everybody else. And, and Thrawn, you know, always up there in like the most uh, devious villain, villain inverted commas, because Mark made a great point earlier about how he start, you know, he started off as an antagonist and then becomes a protagonist in the more recent books, you know, and that's certainly the case in in Chaos Rising. Like I say, I'm about two thirds through it, and it's it's completely from his point of view. Yet, and and you are sympathetic and and almost rooting for him because you know he's got a destiny, you know where he's got to go, and you kind of want to see how he gets there. And this scenario and the background that he comes from, he can be nothing but the the you know the protagonist and the guy that you're sort of rooting for and such. But this, yeah, like I say, I mean, you know. 
Talon Card and Mara Jade and, and Admiral Thrawn and, and uh, uh, Captain Pellion and, you know, there's a, a Joris Sabaoth and, you know, just all these things throughout this book. There's so much. It's, it's really quite something else. I, I hope it's one of those things they do go back and sort of um, mine for, for future ideas because there's a lot in this. There really is a lot in this. It really set the bar, didn't it? Oh, massively, massively. yeah, yeah, really. massively. Mm. Following on from this trilogy, basically, it it opened the floodgates, didn't it, for Star Wars books? Would would that still be the same if this had flopped? No, no, no. Yeah. I I, th- I think I think at this point of time, Lucas had you know he wound it down with Star Wars. I mean, I used to get Bantha tracks back in the day, and you know, the, I think the last two issues were like a year apart, and it was quite obvious even then, you know, as a sort of mid teenager <laughs> that that it was winding down, and that you know, ILM were off doing. Back to the Future and you know Indiana Jones and all the other Star Trek more than Star Wars at that point you know they were off doing other stuff and John Williams was doing other stuff and you know Lucas was focusing on the company so you'd read more about THX and ILM and and the graphics group which became Pixar and Sprocket Systems which became Skywalker Sound and all the things that he was doing at the time Edit Droid and you know and suddenly the Insider wasn't just about Star Wars anymore oh, sorry the Insider uh, Banther Tracks wasn't just about Star Wars it was about Lucasfilm as a, as a company. You know, and occasionally you'd get, oh, there's a new Ewok movie coming out. Great. You know, never got it on television. We had to find it on video or it came out at the cinema um, if you were fortunate enough to find it. But the point being is that Lucas was putting his attentions elsewhere from Star Wars. So when this came out, whilst it was definitely Lucasfilm, the, the, the creative side of Lucasfilm saying, well, let's give it a punt. Let's see if it sticks. And it did massively. I think all I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure all three went to number one in the New York Times bestsellers list. Yeah. Um, if they hadn't and hadn't sold stupid numbers, which they did, yeah, you've got to wonder whether or not Lucasfilm would have thought, well, you know, we're doing great with all this other stuff. You know, we've diversified as a company and Star Wars is always going to be dear to us. And maybe we'll come back to it in the future, but we're not going to put a lot of effort into it now. That wasn't the case. Clearly, like you say, this comes out, the first book comes out, you know what business people, money people are like. They thought, right, Tim, write the next two and then let's get, Kathy Tyus to write Teresa Bakura. Let's get Dave Wolverton to write Courtship of Princess Leia and just set them up. Kevin J. Anderson to write the uh, Jedi Academy trilogy and just get them all up and running. And they probably had that plotted out in you know one of those legendary Lucasfilm sort of Skywalker Ranch meetings that they had, like three day summits. They probably planned out five years worth of books, you know, and just worked it from there. So yeah, I think if it hadn't have hit, maybe. It, it wouldn't, I'm pretty confident it wouldn't have took off the way it did, but because these were such massive hits, I'm, it was <laughs> it was a good gamble, definitely a good gamble. You, no, no doubt you would have interviewed Timothy Zahn over the years and um, had contact with him. When it comes to writing something like this after a few years of nothing, how much of a blank canvas does he have? How much say is Lucas saying this, this and this? From my understanding, uh, he was tasked with writing the book i think he had a fairly broad scope of what he wanted to do i think they they kind of knew when they wanted to set it and give it enough distance from jedi um because don't forget marvel had gone beyond jedi as well with the comics and at this point of time as much as and i know canon's a dirty word and it, and it's a ever ever evolving thing and they really should call it continuity not canon um because everything with star wars on it is canon because it's star wars it's you know what i mean it's, it's all canon what people really mean is the, is the chronology of it, the continuity of it, and where it fits. That's what matters, and that's what should be thought of or thought through more more deeply. Zahn was basically, I think he was in contact with Bill Stavicsek, who was the guy that was really behind the West End Games Star Wars roleplay stuff, and that that all of Slavicsek's notes and basically all the Galaxy Guides, source books, and everything was just dumped on on Zahn's desk, and they said work as much of this in as he can. Um, so that was a big part of, of his um, sort of bread and butter towards pulling it together and, and sort of building a, a new galaxy almost, you know, because now I'm very much into the maps. I love the galaxy map. I'm really into that sort of cartography side of it. Not that I'm any kind of expert on maps, but just the galaxy, the ge- geography of the galaxy has always interested me. There really wasn't much of a geography of the galaxy then. Point, point being, you look back to the original Star Wars, they leave Tatooine. They go into the hold of the Millennium Falcon. Luke's waving his lightsaber about getting shot by the by the training droid. There's the little spit between Han and and, and Kenobi, and then bleep bleep, we're coming up an Alderaan. But if you look at the map, Tatooine is bottom right in in the on right on the edge of the outer rim. 
in the Arcanis sector, and Alderaan is pretty much right at the top of the map. So, you know, so they're, they're literally the opposite end of the galaxy. Quite clearly, they don't travel the entire galaxy in, a com- in one conversation. There's, an, there's things that happen. You could argue that there's, a net, you know, there's breaks in, the, in the, you know, the, the timing of it all. Point being is that George never sat there with the galaxy map and worked out where everything was. You know, so as time goes on, these things get filled out and filled out. And, and Air to the Empire was really the start of, of this sort of second wave of Star Wars continuity where all these things get, get filled out. And I think Zahn had a lot of latitude to fill in these gaps. Like, like Mark just said, you know, the Smugglers Alliance and, and start to fill out the underworld in that post Jabba the Hutt era because he was the kingpin of the galaxy. And of course, you, you know, five years later, Shadow of the Empire comes out and you find out that Shizor's even probably even on an even higher level than Jabba. Jabba has to sort of answer to him with the whole Black Sun thing. And now we move forward another 20 years and you've got Crimson Dawn introduced in solo so you know they, they keep layering it up layering it up which is really interesting and that all kind of fits but yeah um i think he had a lot of scope and um and thank goodness he did because clearly what a fertile imagination to 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 it would have been easy to write another han solo book i mean i love the original han solo trilogy they're probably my favorite star wars books you know stars end revenge and lost legacy i love them but they're very much like you know, you're reading that. They're a bit like reading the current Thrawn book, actually. You know, the only character you know from the current Thrawn book so far, really, is Thrawn. It's in places you don't really know that well, with characters you've never met. And the original Han Solo trilogy was Han, Chewie, the Falcon. That's it. I mean, they, they set it in the corporate sector. There's no other characters that you know. That was the proviso for that trilogy. But they're brilliant books because it's, it fills out the character of Han Solo so well. And this trilogy is kind of the same in that. You've got people that you know. You know, it's a great mix of Han Luke, Leia, Chewie, you know, R2, 3PO, Lando, Mon Mothma, all those characters. And then bringing in all this new cast of characters that very quickly became increasingly important because all you've got was the books. It's that it's another 30 years ago. It's an era all we've got was these books. So, yeah, that's a really long answer to a very short question. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think I think he did a great job of filling it out. Do you think um, Timothy Zahn's kind of been a, he is now just Thrawn? Does he? Oh, I don't know too much about Timothy Zahn outside of the Thrawn books. Does he write other books? Because it seems to me that he's just, yeah. uh, he's been yeah. quite in depth with Thrawn for quite a long time. Yeah. I mean, he was a big name, wasn't he, when he came in? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was a big name and, and he does do other books. I mean, I I can't say I've ever read any, but that's only because there's just too many Star Wars books to read. So, <laughs> um, um, but the thing is, is, yeah, but there are times where you kind of you do wonder, barring the blue skin and the lack of hair, where Thrawn starts and Timothy's on ends and, and you know, so on and so forth. I mean, he's he's got the character down pat. And and this was one thing that I mean, we we did discuss actually the other day. And I actually said it would be nice to maybe say, OK, Timothy, thank you for doing all this work with Thrawn. Now let's do something completely different with you let's let's take you you know let why why don't you do a uh, a book based in the sequel era for instance yeah you know so because that's it i mean he 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 knows a character so well um i mean obviously he did like choices uh choices of one which is kind of matt mara jade centric again it's his own character and then like allegiance now which is quite a cool book but um, you know, with a, even with a hand of Thrawn geology, um, it's it, even though Thrawn's dead, it's it's all about Thrawn, really. And actually, again, kind of coming back to that whole thing where he's he's kind of like transitioning Thrawn from being a bad guy to a good guy. You know, it's kind of like hinted at or you know fairly overtly explained that Thrawn was aware of Yuuzhan Vong before you know they invaded the galaxy, so he was trying to you know help get the empire kind of ready for when that invasion actually came which is you know um which is really cool but i think that was just based on the fact that they they wanted another thrawn book before um for the, the prequels came out and before the, the new jedi order books came out so um but i, I don't know if uh, have any of you guys read anything else by uh tim vizan i haven't no me neither <laughs> no i know he, i know he did a lot of stuff he'd won the hugo i think and he, yeah he'd won big awards but um no, I hadn't. I've only ever read his, his Star Wars stuff. And like you just said, um, Mark, you, you were saying you, you struggle to see where Timothy's Zahn ends and Thrawn begins. 
And you can see that both of you have struggled with that because you've both called him Timothy Thrawn tonight. So, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. awesome, good. <laughs> that's yeah. going to be our ghost author name. When me and Mark <laughs> write a Star Wars like fanfic, we're going to be called Timothy Thrawn. Timothy Thrawn, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> right, I'm going to get you three, okay, because you're you're more invested in these books than probably I have been. So for, for listeners who perhaps have not read these uh, this trilogy, I'm going to ask each one of you to get to do one book at a time, to kind of like give the book a kind of synopsis and to also explain where our heroes are from the original trilogy at that point in time for each book. OK, and no pressure. I'm going to start with you, Mr. Newbold, with Hair to the Empire. Oh, blimey. Um, how do you <laughs> how do you how do you concisely put that together? Uh, well, obviously, it's, it's five years after after Endor. The New Republic's pretty much got a handle on the galaxy as much as they think they can, in that they're a new government, you know, post-Empire. The galaxy did kind of fall apart a little bit, but they're, they're pretty much holding it together. There's, there's a new threat, let's say that. There's a new threat appears, and that's sort of where Thrawn comes in, you know, this Chiss commander that's risen up the ranks of the Empire. I'm going to mention the character that I thought was really interesting, that, that was, was somebody that... that People really sort of dug at the time and kind of gets lost in the in the static a little bit. Now, Joris Saboth, mm. Joris Saboth comes into it. Um, he's kind of a little bit out there. He's sort of like um, uh, like an unhinged sort of Saruman character living on a mountain top. Was it Mount Tantis? I think it was yes. Mount Tantis. Yeah, Mount Tantis um, on Wayland. Yeah, that's it, Wayland. That's right. And they're basically they're they're looking for the Emperor's hidden weapon, hidden weapon stash. They think there's like a weapon stash um, that they can use um, because they obviously want to, you know, throw and rest into the New Republic and, and they want to bring it down because they're, they're the Empire. Were they, I can't remember, were they called the Imperial Remnant at this time or did that come later? I think that came later, didn't it? That's later, uh, yeah. Yeah, obviously you're bringing you with the characters in. Oh, yeah, uh, he finds out that Leia is pregnant, if I remember rightly, with the Jedi twins and he's decided he's going to train the Jedi twins in the way of the Force. So he's uh, basically trying to sort of inveigle his way into that because they'll see that as like new heirs to the, heirs to the Empire. There you go. Yeah, that, it's the book that really introduces all the characters in, into the storyline. Um, Leia's been hunted down by the Nogri. Uh, and I, correct me if I'm wrong, Rook, the character that ultimately kills Thrawn, he was voiced by Warwick Davis in Rebels, wasn't he? Correct. thought it was the same character. So, uh, yeah, so, so Thrawn basically builds this fleet and there's a whole attack. There's a big battle at the end of the first book and uh, Lando and Han, uh, as I remember, I think Rogue Squadron are involved, managed to sort of stave them off at, to the shipyards at Sluicevan. And Thrawn, having been built up and sort of getting his sort of pieces in place, doesn't have the big victory that you would expect him to have at the end of the first book. He kind of, he actually gets defeated, which I always thought was a cool twist because like like Mark says, all the way through the intervening or following years, he's that chess master that's not three moves ahead, he's five moves ahead. And it was kind of interesting to see him get out outwitted at the first big sort of first big battle. But obviously Mara Jade's introduced. She's got a grudge against Luke because obviously he killed the Emperor, as as they thought, of course. She hadn't seen Rise of Skywalker at that time. So she's got a grudge because she was the Emperor's hand. So there's a whole you know, sort of enmity between her and Luke, which obviously ultimately gets resolved. But so uh, yeah, it's uh, it was it was a great way to introduce it. It certainly set up all the um, all the cards for the uh, that wasn't a pun. That's card with a C A R D S, not a K A double R D S. Well, it sets it all up for the following two books. But yes, blimey, I've never had to summarise a book like that before. That's hard work. Good luck to whoever's doing yeah. the next one. <laughs> Caught you on the hop, didn't it, Mark? I, I like it. One. You had to I drag you... that one out. Yeah, <laughs> I thought you did a good job. Who just said they'd like to do the next one? I do. I do Dark Force Rising. Go on then, Mark. Go on. Gives you a bit of time to study there, Craig. Yeah, yeah. thanks. <laughs> okay, so five years after the events of Return of a Jedi, the Fragile Republic that was born uh, with the defeat of Darth Vader and the Emperor and the now infamous second Death Star stands threatened from with, within and without. Can you tell I'm reading this from the, the dust jacket of the, yes, the first edition? Yes, you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, so basically, uh, Dark Force Rising basically picks up, I think fairly quickly after the events of heir to the empire and the, the middle the middle chapter in this trilogy has a lot more kind of political intrigue this is um there's a plot between 
uh, one of the councillors, Bosk, failure to kind of supplant um, Admiral Akbar by kind of saying he's incompetent and actually he's in league with uh, the Empire because um, suddenly out of nowhere a load of kind of um, Imperial credits have been transferred into one of Akbar's accounts. What happens is also that Princess Leia is continued to be threatened by the Nogri um, in Edge of the Empire, but she she captures one of the Nogri when she's on Kashyyyk, and she arranges to, along with Chewbacca, to go to their homeworld of Onaga to basically kind of like um, see if he can, well, she, she can help them out um, because apparently the planet's kind of been po- uh, poisoned by a, a massive starship battle that happened, to her knowledge, during the Civil War. And so she she goes there and has kind of like uh, some time to spend with um, Kabarak's clan and kind of discovers through that that actually um, it wasn't the Galactic Civil War that this space battle had uh, kind of like poisoned the planet, but it was the Clone, the clone Wars. And what had happened is that Darth Vader had seen the abilities of Nogri and took advantage of the fact that... Um, they weren't very technological and kind of had droids planted on the planet to kind of um, try and clean up the the poison and the chemical waste. But actually what they were doing was they were kind of keeping it in a kind of like a eternal kind of like sort of balance where basically the planet wasn't actually getting any healthier. So therefore the Nogri were reliant on the Empire for, for aid and therefore Vader and the Emperor had the ability to use the Nogri as assassins. So at the same time, Han and Lando meet uh, uh, well, ex-Senator Garnbel Iblis, who basically was thought to be dead, but has basically been kind of fighting his own war against the Empire out in the, I think, like the outer uh, reaches. They discover that there was this uh, fleet in the Clone Wars era called the Katana Fleet, which was about 200-odd dreadnoughts, which all slaved together so that if they could minimise the number of crew that they needed, because of a high virus, the, the crew went mad and basically jumped the whole fleet into, you know, oblivion as far as they were concerned. At the same time, Talon Card is working at the, the other end of, of this and he came across this Katana fleet and figured out what it was when he was uh, like a, a crewman or something on, a, on another smuggling ship. And his plan was to basically sell the ships or offer the ships to the New Republic before the Empire learn of them and then take them what we end up what ends up happening is the captain of that starship gets taken by the empire and the information of location of where the katana fleet is extracted from the captain and he tells them the location so then when han and leia and luke finally get their kind of strike force ready to go and find the katana they realize that actually there's only about 15 or 16 dreadnoughts left because the Empire had come in already and already moved a load of the, um, the ships away. Whilst they're on the, on, the fl- on the ships, they get boarded by stormtroopers and it's during this time that actually Luke and Han discover that actually the stormtroopers are in fact clones. That's kind of where the, the cliffhanger is left. So the end of Dark Force Rising is kind of like the Republic's lost because the Empire and Grand Admiral Front's got one up on them. Uh, they don't have his fleet, and now they're facing potentially another Clone Wars, which kind of leads into the last command. I tell you something that was that was in depth. <laughs> I don't think I need to read that one. You, no, that you nailed that one. Better than mine. <laughs> I think Mark's. Re- you just said you'd recently listened to them, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, I did listen to him. I think like last week, but I mean, I um, yeah, I I I I lend you my audio cassettes and my um old Sony Walkman so you can listen to them because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, because to be honest, actually, those um as much as I hated listening to the abridged version back in the day because they were abridged and cut down, but you know, if you wanted to get through like the old EU really quickly, those are abridged novels which end up being mainly read by Anthony Heald are really good because they're really short so you can get through a load of novels and get kind of like the overall gist of stuff in a couple of hours anyway let's uh move on to last uh last command so craig you, last you... command <laughs> you really don't want me to spoil these books for the listeners do you stuart <laughs> <laughs> there's, don't there's read, some... don't read the last page okay? spoiler alert <laughs> there's a bit of scrapping there's a clone made out of luke's hand there's some babies born and then uh, Thrawn gets furloughed back to the outer rib on 80% pay. Perfect. Yeah. 
Well, if there's an elevator pitch, if ever heard. <laughs> I mean, it, literally, the elevator went up to the first floor, and that was it. But hey, <laughs> my, my research didn't get as as far as the last one. I got halfway through the this, the second one. <laughs> but uh, it's, I mean, it actually, it's interesting. You pick pick up on a good point, there, Craig, because actually, yeah, um, the kind of the whole kind of crux of the, the final book is. You know, it's uh, a clone being created from Luke's hand from from Bespin with his lightsaber, which is kind of like two views, isn't it? Yeah, it's Luke or something like that, which is really hard. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) it's really hard for like to kind of distinguish when you listen to the audiobooks. Uh, At least, at least when Anthony Daniels read, I think Mark uh, Thompson puts a little bit more emphasis on on the uh, the extra U, but. But yeah, I mean, it's that is quite a clever. It was a clever way of um, of like Mara fulfilling the Emperor's last command to her, you know. So it's a way of of Mara kind of fulfilling her wish and striking down a Luke Skywalker, you know, and 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 basically being able to kind of move on, kind of like with her life and stuff. But it's it's interesting because like even in the bridge novels, you kind of get a a, a kind of a hint that there's a bit of sexual tension going on there between like Luke and Mara. Which is kind of like, you know, across the whole EU's on again, off again. She has this weird kind of like, I don't know, kind of like thing with Lando for a bit as well. And it's, yeah, it gets a bit odd. But yeah, I thought the Luke and the Mara dynamic was really clever. It was a good twist having to fulfill the Emperor's last command, like you say, to kill Luke. That was, that was a really cool twist. You, uh, you don't need to listen to number one and two or read them, but uh, <laughs> the third one you do. <laughs> <laughs> Left a bit of intrigue in there. The the cover art on these three books, the initial cover art by uh, yeah. Tom Jung, is quite exceptional, isn't it? I, I mean, mm. they've re-released these with reprints, but they've never recaptured the artwork initially. What, what do you boys think of the uh, the covers? Because they are smashing. I love Dark Force Rising, the initial one. Oh yeah, I mean, I think that is one you know one thing that defines not only this trilogy, but the expanded a lot of expanded universe books is the artwork you know you've got the drew strusen artwork for like dark saber and children of the jedi and stuff but yeah these original you know first three by tom jung are really good and i think the difference is you know they put um our, our big three characters front and center and thrawn's kind of like less important at least in the dark force rising one I've, I've just got the book in my hand that's the reason why i can remember it so well it just kind of it feels it feels right in some respects and they, they do look a little bit older actually you can see Leia looks a little bit older than what she did in Jedi and stuff but it it says it it's got the Falcon you've got Luke with a lightsaber you've got you know Admiral Thrawn and TIE Fighters and and Star Wars and Gold Leaf so hell that that's 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 rare to to jump off the bookshelves isn't it it's funny you say about about Drew Strews and I mean Tom Jung did these three I don't know if I think he'd done a He'd done some posters in the past for Star Wars. Um, I don't know if he did anything after, but Struzan did Struzan Pakura straight after this, and then, like you say, yeah. Courtship and, and onwards. And most of the, I mean, obviously, wasn't that long after this, three, maybe three years after this, when the, I don't know, did Tom Jung did, do the Jedi Academy covers? I could yeah. be wrong. I might have done them as well. But but certainly Struzan did, uh, I mean, you know, the greatest movie poster artist of all is Drew Susan, you could confidently argue. And he was doing, you know, he did the, um, uh, you know, the Glover Vader, Mission to Mount, Mount Yoda and all those, you know, the kids' book those covers. classics. Absolute classics, Stone Cold classics. Um, you know, he did the, like I say, he did a whole bunch of uh, Star Wars novel called Crystal Star, like I say, Dark Saber, Children of the Jedi, a uh, whole load of them. Right up until I think just before, uh, right up until New Jedi Order, basically. But yeah, these three, the original three, I like the new ones. Don't get me wrong, and like you say, they've just been re-released here in the UK a couple of weeks ago, I think, in that horrible new size format that we have. I think they is it the B size now? Mm. Uh, it's uh, I hate it. They, they're halfway between a trade and a novel, and they just look horrible on the shelves. But there you go. It's the artwork that I think the American Del Rey reprints had about three years ago. Lovely artwork. But these feel like, especially in the time they came out in, like, like you say, 91, 92, 93, it was like having movie poster covers on the front of your books. So, yeah, they were very cool. I think where the, where the book set the standard for writing, the, the covers probably set the standard for the rest of the covers, um, for the rest of the expanded universe. No matter what role Han Solo 
had in any novel, he was on the cover waving a blaster around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why wouldn't you want to get Harrison Ford in there though? You know, it's part of it. You've got you can use his likeness, get him in there. <laughs> I was having a look actually. If you were a um, a book completist, now th- these have had a lot of different covers, haven't they, across across many many lands. I've, I've just just got some on my screen now. Have you seen the um the Czech Republic 1993 release of this cover? I think I've got I've got the Hungarian version. So the check. Um, I'm just going to put in the in the um, side chat here. Is that the cartoony one? It's, oh <laughs> blimey! That looks like it's come straight from an episode of Droids. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it does, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, but that, in fairness, that, and I apologise in advance to the artist, but if you look at the original version of Ed the Empire, the, the US and the, the hardcover version. It's basically that, but this version just looks like it's been drawn by a twelve-year-old. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's too bad, and it's making me laugh. <laughs> yeah, he kind of looks like a fraggle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, just, uh... Can we now bring in our guest, the Hungarian artist who did the covers? To... <laughs> yeah, I've just just browsing them. Some of them are fantastic. It's um completely uh completely. I mean, nuts. they did that lovely silver cover, didn't they? When it was the twentieth anniversary, yeah, they did that beautiful 25th, silver cover. Yeah. Well, listeners, you'll have to go and check out the enhanced version if you want to see what we're talking about. That's the... <laughs> Nothing like uh, doing that. But yeah, yeah, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant art. One of my favourite things is when um, Micro Machines did those little like, little books that you opened up oh, and had the little, yes. little ships inside. Yes. And they did they did Air to the Empire, didn't they? And I think they did Dark yeah. Force Rising, but they didn't do the other one. Yeah, they yeah, definitely did Air and, and, and Dark Force. And, that, and that, I've got True Super Cura, and I think they did one of the Jedi Academy ones. I think I've got three or four of them. They didn't they do were... as many as they should have done. No, but they were lovely. Yeah. Little kind of fake books made out of cardboard, yeah. and you opened them up, and they're like almost like they'd burnt through, and you could see the ships inside. That's they were it. cool. It was a cool era. I mean, I know it's not the topic we're talking about, but it was a really cool era for collectibles, you know, because because they were spinning off from stuff like this and those micro machines that sort of glue sort of era was so much fun because as you say you could get little mini versions of you know these vehicles and stuff that you wouldn't get anywhere else you just wouldn't find them anywhere else there's no other versions of some of these ships you can only get them as these little dinky you know book (laughs) gotta be small to fit inside a book you know (laughs) Uh, really cool little uh, era and like say using the same artwork and sort of adapting it it was yeah i might go upstairs and have a look at them in a bit i haven't looked at them forever yeah they were fab yeah i love the fact that you just said this era of collectibles was the best because micro machines and bendems what what else were we talking about mark blimey you got well you're talking about yeah the powerful force 2 range yeah which gave us a mara and gave us a thrawn yeah Yeah. it was expanding yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, i would have put that later a bit later in these books but uh, i'll I'll let you off if we're we're mixing in yeah i mean you're right i love power the force too so yeah Especially monkey face layer. <laughs> the nineties is an underappreciated era for Star Wars. Certainly, Dave Tree will tell you this. In terms of collectibles, it's like the lost decade. It's crazy until you get to the sequel uh, to the prequel trilogy. But you know, there's a lot of stuff, especially sort of post post Last Command up until you know, sort of ninety three, ninety four, ninety five, when you know the Galaxy Mag was sort of around and all that sort of era. There was there was a, more stuff coming out than people remember. It's worth looking back and seeing what sort of things were there because I think Hamilton were doing the plates, I think, and like yeah. I say, doing stuff and Screaming were doing the kits and, you know, Ertl were doing things. There's licensees that have long gone from the franchise now, but, you know, there's all sorts of stuff. I think people would be quite surprised to realise how much there was. You're making everyone fall in love with those uh, unloved l- lines, Mark. <laughs> I mean, some of those I've just forgotten all about, yeah. Uh, I get a percentage, that's why. <laughs> um, before we close out then, gents, any, anything you'd just like to say about these books? Maybe just, well, where do they sit with regards to your favourite literature from Star Wars? Oh, that's a tough one. I mean, do you know what? I, You know, especially reading the, the more recent Thrawn stuff, and I haven't, you know, haven't finished reading Chaos Rising, so I can't include that. But sometimes I do think at the moment people have put Timothy Zahn on that pedestal and therefore everything that he's going to write is going to be gold but i don't think that's the case but i think partly because of obviously the nostalgia factor for me anyway this um this trilogy is is definitely up there 
I mean, and like Mark said earlier, there's, there's no, if this a tank, there's no way. I mean, there's probably no way that we would be talking about this on the podcast today. Mm. And there probably definitely wouldn't be kind of any other books afterwards. And, and probably no special edition, no prequels, yada, yada, yada. So I think it, it's, it's historically important. Um, and also it's, it's fun to kind of look back and kind of see where the timelines, you know, do kind of veer off differently between what was written in the, in the Air to the Empire and all that, and actually what happens in the prequels and all that kind of stuff, which is that whole issue with like, you know, Schroeder's kind of canon, where it's kind of, it's canon until it's basically overwritten by the guy who's, you know, idea came up with in the first place, that, that kind of thing. So yeah, for me, it's, 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 it's up there, but um, there's so many Star Wars books uh, and nowadays there's so many Star Wars books in different styles that it's really difficult to kind of compare, you know, compare eras and compare, you know, by far this is probably one of the strongest like Legends books uh, and trilogies, but it's harder to then kind of like compare it to what we've got in the prequel era and what we've got in some of the sequel era. I mean, I don't know. What, what do you reckon, Newbold? Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I'm very fond of them because of the, of the era. You know, because like you say, when it came back, it was such a big hit. We'd had nothing for so long. They kind of turned up on the shelves almost unannounced. You know, I remember walking into Waterstones and and just there they were. So what the hell are they? You know, uh, and grabbed it and read it and chomped through it and couldn't believe it. Because at the time I was obviously still am into Star Trek. But, you know, then I was reading a lot of Trek novels, you know, and then all of a sudden the Star Wars novel turns up. And wow, you know, um, but yeah, I mean, it's a good point about Zahn in on the other Thrawn. It's a good point about Zahn in the sense of for for the book companies that he writes for for Lucasfilm, you know, getting him onto these projects, they must and they do see a spike in sales when it's one of his books that comes along. Uh, and thirty years in now, you know, if you know that as a book publisher you've got a Thrawn trilogy or a Zahn book coming every sort of five, six, seven years you know, to keep feeding the beast sort of thing. It's, it's a good, it's a good little thing to have in the back pocket. And like you say, he's been allowed to go off and expand on the throne. Um, and especially now with this new trilogy that, like I say, we're both working our way through the current book, but, and reviews coming soon to Fanta tracks, but um, you know, he's now filling out a bit more of the his- history of the Chiss Ascendancy and the home world and the background to his own personal history, which is great an author can have that latitude you look through star wars literature okay alan dean foster wrote the original star wars novel then he then he comes back and he writes you know approaching storm and then he comes back and writes force awakens and splinter in the mind's eye back in the day you know he had a good good little run at it the only other guy i would say that's had a real sort of almost a free reign approaching the level of zahn is kevin j anderson who was like the guy for the for most of the 90s you know, he was so involved in doing so much stuff. Now he writes all the June stuff with Frank Herbert's son, but, you know, um, he stepped right away from it. But Zahn had a lot of latitude. And most of the stuff he's done, that I've, and I've not read all of it, can't pretend I have, but, you know, all the stuff I've read, I've enjoyed. But his his stuff feels like it's filling out a lot of history. And, and, and you know, there's a lot of meaty stuff in there. Sometimes I, I wonder some of the books, I think there's barely enough plot to fill a comic, let alone a book. You know, and they're they're a bit unsubstantial. Maybe that's just the way of the world. They, you know, it's almost like they're scared at the moment to take any big leaps. And Heir to the Empire was one of those books, and he had a whole era of books where what super weapons going to be in this book? Mm-hmm. You know, they did become super weapon of the week. It became a bit of a trope, and, and it's almost unavoidable in the Star Wars galaxy because that's kind of part of the. You know, you've had three films and two of them had Death Stars in them. You know, it's hard to get away from the fact that these big weapons are a big part of Star Wars. But nevertheless, at least they were trying to do something bold. New Jedi Order was really doing something very bold and big, and and you know the galaxy's being invaded, Coruscant's being taken, billions are dying. You know, it's big, big, big stuff. You know, and you even look to the sequel trilogy as a trilogy of films. And it's like, what new stuff did we really get in the sequel trilogy? I can't really think of much of anything apart from you know Skype calling yourself from one planet to another. Uh, there's not an awful lot that felt fresh and new as enjoyable as it was. And I did enjoy them. Whereas these books were the start of an era of star Wars that was really going out there, trying to do something different and new. And, and it's still got a massive fandom. So I'd probably say that's the best legacy of, of this book tumbling into all the other books that followed. 
was it really got people into this era and and these books and Star Wars as a whole? Yeah, I mean, this is this has been a really nice opportunity for me to revisit these, and as uh, as my summary of the Last Command testifies, I haven't quite got through my recap uh, of the full trilogy, but. You know, I've read so much of these novels over the. I mean, I've read them all. Uh, over time, it mushes into one. You know, mm. sometimes you, you forget which book that plot point was in, and and so to, to go back to this and and sort of look at it with fresh eyes, just to discuss it tonight, has been has been really quite wonderful. You know, you kind of realise just how how good it was and how you know nuanced the bad guy was, and and that's you know slightly ahead of its time. You know, Star Wars villains were a bit cape swishy and mustache twirling. You know, Vader himself was from that classic uh, tradition, whereas you know Thrawn was you, you could relate to him, you understood him, um, and sort of just to go back and reread these things or just refresh myself to the stories and the characters has been has been really good and. You know, as 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 both Marks have said, the fact that we're still talking about this and these, this character, these characters are still being celebrated and published is is a real testament to this piece of work. Wonderful. I like a lot. I like what you say there, Craig. That's a good point about Vader being the classic sort of mm. cape swishy villain. He, he's all he's more like Ming the Merciless in that respect. In, yeah. the, in that you look at you look at Thrawn and it's like you imagine if Wiley Coyote actually made it work and got the Roadrunner. <laughs> Thrawn is more like Wiley Coyote when he's on a good day when he wins. You know? So, <laughs> I mean, those, those modern novels—he's more and more like a modern reading of Sherlock Holmes. It's just, yeah, you, yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, following it along, and you kind of go, "Well, you know, he knows what's going on, and I don't, and Fanto doesn't know what's going on, but you know, it, it's going to play out, and it, it's got that real kind of self-referential type mm. to it sometimes." Yeah, I, I suppose that in itself is sometimes fun because it's kind of like you, you just go, okay, well let's just yeah, let's just see work. <laughs> let's see how he's going to figure this one out. Um, Not if so, he's going to figure it out, but how? Yeah. How exactly? <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like yeah, exactly. It's like Sherlock Holmes in that respects, or you know, it's very, something very similar. Can I just say, I just public apology, I think needs to be had right now to the Yately um, Library because I still have your copy of Dark Horse Rising. <laughs> <laughs> that I may or may not have intentionally have kept. Was that October '93? I think it was. So yeah, sorry about that. I probably got a few um late late fees on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's going to cost you. <laughs> and they are listening. Yeah, of course they are. Yeah. <laughs> well, gents, thank you so so much for joining us. Um, it, it was great. You know, it was, you were you were clear clear options to go to because you you know your stuff when it comes to this. So it's a uh, it's been fun just to listen to you boys uh, relive the books. They um, they were great, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank oh, you thanks for having us. Song. Great fun. Yeah, it's been fun. We should do this again. Definitely. And go and check out Cannon Fodder. There must be a... Is is there a new one out, newish? I think we're recording it on Sunday, I think. Oh, well, so it's imminent. So how long do you... Uh, what's your turnaround like after recording? Oh, blimey, three days. Nice. So by Wednesday next week, check out fanfortracks.com. Yeah be on there and if you want to go and check it out mark does eight articles a day <laughs> <laughs> at the least i mean it is it is the place to keep up to date for everything which uh, as a fan we do thank you um gents thank you so much really do appreciate it you're welcome take care Cheers. wonderful don't forget to check out all our other shows this month uh, we've got we've got books galore this month eight shows in total so another six following this to come plus our usual vintage and modern round tables. Uh, don't forget you can check us out on social media. Just look for Facebook, Instagram and Twitter and just search for Generation Skywalker. Go to www.generationskywalker.com where you can find links to all our shows, all our blogs and all our enhanced versions of the shows. And there's also links to the social media over there as well. So check it all out. But it is for the show. Goodbye. And we are Generation Skywalker. Generation Skywalker.